Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is Emily Buckley, a COO, a CrossFit Games athlete, and an outdoor enthusiast. She has over a decade of multi-unit experience across a broad spectrum of fitness modalities. From kickboxing to CrossFit to rock climbing, she's truly done it all, from instructing classes, managing teams across multiple units, and currently running the operations of a multi-million dollar company. I'm so excited to introduce you all. So without further ado, welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for the uh, warm welcome. I'm excited to be here. We've chatted once before, and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. So I'm very excited to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And likewise, it was such a pleasure. So I'm so excited to have everybody else hear your story as well. So let's go ahead and kick this thing off. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, so I'm born and bred in New York City. Um, I grew up here. I played soccer for the entirety of my childhood. Um, I ended up loving, loving practice more than actually playing in games, which is interesting, but I think it lends a hand to who I am as a person right now. I think it says a lot, but um, yeah, so I grew up playing soccer. I went to college um, to play soccer, and then I actually got recruited onto the lacrosse team while I was there. So I ended up being a two-sport college athlete, which was crazy. Um, (laughs) And then while I was there, I studied sports management and recreation. So I knew from like a really early age that I was really obsessed with physical movement and that I wanted that to be what I spent my entire life in. Um, And that's been an interesting and at certain points in time, a very uh, struggle filled career path. Um, But it's, but I've been like very uh, resilient and relentless about my path. And that's led me to the point that I'm at today. Um, Lots of turns, not, not a straight line up for sure, but um, I wouldn't change anything about it. And I think it's taught me a lot. So Oh, and that's exactly the beauty of it too. I think also one note, when I was looking back, I completely forgot too that you played lacrosse. So I I'm I absolutely love lacrosse, by the way. That's that was my sport back in high school. By no means was I a collegiate athlete, but I mm-hmm. think that's also another reason why we attracted each other too. But um I, I wanna touch on that. You know, I think health and wellness, because that's an industry technically that you're in now in mm-hmm. your professional career you have had just such a remarkable professional journey across so many different modalities outside of just like the formerly traditional um, look of fitness. And when you just touch on it, it looks like really your journey started much earlier through sports. So I think a lot of us always speak to how um, sports is such a powerful tool and mechanism to be able to teach transferable life skills. And reflecting on your days as a student athlete, as a collegiate athlete, can you talk about any memorable experiences that you may have taken with you even into your professional career? Yeah, I think about that a lot, actually. And I don't I never know if I'm just like reliving my glory days of being a a college athlete, or if I, I really feel like this has impacted me. But you know, one way or another, I I do think that it plays an impact into my daily life. Um, Like first and foremost, playing two sports in college is no joke. Like having, having 6am practice and 3pm practice every single day for both sports and then lifting for each sport, going to class and everything. Like my days were really full. So I actually think that my tolerance for a workload 
was just so high from a very young age. Like I remember being in college and feeling like it was just totally unmanageable. Like it was just too much. All of the practicing, not only physically, but just from like an hours in the day standpoint, like I just didn't, I was under the impression that I was just doing too much. Um, And then I realized every year that I went back to school and did it again, it actually got easier and easier. And it wasn't that the requirements were less, um, you know, honestly, the requirements were probably more as I became a more seasoned athlete, more was expected out of me. Um, But I really feel like it just built up my tolerance for a workload that translates well into certain aspects of professionalism, right? And having an executive position, you are pretty much constantly working, um, especially the last two years within COVID. It's been quite interesting, but a lot a lot of effort put in. Um, so I think that I attribute a lot of my ability to um, operate at a very high frequency and get a lot of stuff done is kind of relates back to those like really formative years between like 18 and 21, where you're kind of just trying to figure yourself out. And I developed this sense of like, wow, I can really accomplish a lot within one day, um, which was super cool. And then I think, so I think that's one of the items that is a bit unique to working, um, to playing maybe two sports, but then, you know, the usual kind of like teamwork, like understanding how, your role affects other people within your team and working together to bring a project together. Um, Speaking of lacrosse, I think this is like a really good metaphor for how teams can work in a professional setting as well, but I played defense. So as you know, there are certain lines on the field that like as a defender, I should never cross over into the offensive third. Right. And vice versa, right? Like, like an attacker shouldn't really ever be in the defensive third unless something really wrong is going on. Right. And I think that kind of creates this mentality around, like, I have a job to do. My job is to defend this net and then is to get the ball and pass it off onto other folks who then have a job to do. And then the combination of all of that is actually what creates good teamwork and allows projects or goals or whatever it is to be brought to fruition. Um, And I think that that's super important. And if you think about folks who are in executive positions, a lot of them do have some sort of team sport background. And I I think a lot of that plays into that. That's so powerful. You know, if I think back about the many times that I've like talked to different individuals I've spoke that played sports back in the day and now and then the professional world, what were the skills that they taught them? A lot of the time they really only speak about the leadership qualities. And I actually mm. it's very rare that I hear anything about the teamwork side. And you're exactly right. Regardless of whether or not you're an executive, C level executive, or even just um a senior director, whatever your role could be. Ultimately, you're hired for a reason, and it is that reason is to be part of a, a, a much broader team, a much larger team. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about it. You're exactly right. That is a, a very, very high quality that sports can teach you. Yeah, and I think more so than even just like what what I can provide for the team, right? But more so like the other functions too. It's funny that you say leadership because uh, that that would be the last thing on my mind. Like. Um, <laughs> which is pretty funny. I I think that I've always been like a lead by example type of, type of person. 
And as my professional career has grown, I've definitely have to, had to shift into a little bit more of like running meetings and presentations and putting, putting ideas together and presenting them. Um, but I would say that I've always been like a, a lead by example kind of person rather than like someone who is uh, more or less like commanding leadership in that way. Um, no, if, if there was one other item that I think collegiate sports helps with is just like time management. Like I remember I must've been like my, my freshman or sophomore year, I was fairly young and I didn't reply to one of my coach's emails by the deadline that I was supposed to reply to it. And who knows what it could have been for at this point. I don't even remember. It was probably like some practice time or community service project or something. And I simply didn't reply by the deadline. I can't tell you why. I probably did not have a good excuse, but I got in trouble and I had to wake up at 5 a.m. the next morning and run before we had practice. So I think even that type of stuff just made me realize like, oh, you just can't do that. You simply can't do that. Um, and learning that while I was still in college versus learning that and, and making those mistakes early on in my career, I think gave me a, a big le leg up there. Oh yeah, most definitely. It's definitely <laughs> better that you had those, those prime time years to be able to learn those lessons. You know, thinking about your expertise in operations, you know, I kind of, I'm trying to like reflect back to on one of your previous statements about how you always love the practice as opposed to really more than the game. And I resonate with that so much. You're exactly right. And if you think about the operation space, it's very different. And I could say this because I've got an ex I've got a background in marketing. When you're in the in the marketing space, as as an example, you have a campaign that you're that you're shooting for. You have a marketing asset that you're creating. And those are kind of quote unquote the games. That's what you're working towards. And you have actually a moment and a space to be able to celebrate that or be able to acknowledge those different moments in your career. When it comes to operations, it's constant. It's every single day. Every single day is completely brand new. You never know what to expect. So all you have to do is keep practicing. You're constantly, constantly trying to develop and evolve. And I want to be able to tap in specifically into to your experience as an operator. And I think a lot of the times or a lot of industries because of the pandemic, they've really experienced their fair share of different experiences, challenges, mm -hmm. strengths, opportunities, you name it. So... I'd love to be able to tap into what happened with you. What what would you say are some takeaways that um, you experienced from not just operating brick and mortar, but also I believe you guys said that you opened four new locations in the pandemic too, right? Yeah, it's been, so we've successfully opened three at this point in time. Our fourth one should be opening in the next handful of months. Um, it's been hard. <laughs> it's been really difficult. Um, to be fully transparent, I actually moved into this position, um, you know, essentially right before the pandemic. Um, so, you know, really like stepping into this leadership role, um, learning about how, how the whole business truly operated before the pandemic and then in the pandemic and making adjustments. I mean, I think you can look across all leaders throughout any industry throughout this, nobody knew exactly what to do. And there were a lot of mistakes that were made. Um, there were a lot of, um, you know, pathways that were followed and then you had to pivot and change directions. And I think specifically within the, the health and wellness space, this is 
an industry that got impacted to an insane degree. I mean, the amount of of folks who unfortunately had to close their doors for good during this point in time is so detrimental to our overall health crisis in our country, right? Um, you know, I, I have worked at several different um, companies and different modalities of sports and fitness, but I think the bottom line is always that like, we want people to get healthier, right? And whether that's you're going to um, like a traditional globo gym or whether you're coming to one of our gyms, it doesn't really matter. I think the impactfulness is that people are becoming healthier in, in whatever fashion they decide to do that. I'm a big supporter of that. So it was really heartbreaking to see how many gyms um, and like fitness companies went, went under during this time period. Um, we're super fortunate that we, we were not in that, um, in that bucket. We were across, you know, over the, the last handful of years, we were able to um, retain enough money to kind of hold us over during the time period doesn't mean that it wasn't stressful because it certainly was, um, especially trying to do the right thing by your employees, which, you know, what the right thing is constantly changed at different points in the game. You know, we initially, so being specifically in New York City and Philadelphia, we initially uh, kept people on for the first four months that we were closed. And we ultimately ended up being closed for six months. and that was a lot of money, right? To keep every single person, part-time employees and full-time employees on board, uh, benefits and everything. Um, it was really expensive, but I think it it was the right move to make when we were able to open up. We actually were able to hire people back, even though the government was uh, you know, providing some of these folks with more money than they would make working for us. Um, which I know was a really big struggle that a lot of people faced. Um, There just simply weren't enough employees that were willing to come back to work. But I believe because we showed them um, how much we cared about them throughout that difficult time, they came back and we had enough people to work, which was great. Um, And then opening the gyms, that's been so crazy. (laughs) You know, we had these projections and forecasts set up that we're not, you know, we're just simply not hitting. Um, and we, you know, we, we revised them, but it's hard not to look back to the original ones and say, man, I wish we were at that point. Um, you know, closing out 2021, we actually are back on track, which is great. Um, I'm really excited about that. One of our gyms in Philadelphia, um, is doing really, really well, which is great. Our, our other ones that we opened in New York city are still taking a while to get back on their feet. But um, overall, I, I'll say that it's been a success thus far. Uh, a lot of lots of sleepless nights. Um, somehow I've made it through without getting my first gray hair. I don't know how that happened. But um, it's probably my biggest accomplishment throughout COVID. So Oh, that's great. Oh, my goodness. I think overall, congratulations to yourself and your team. That is by no means an easy task um, whatsoever. And you touched on something incredibly important that um, is honestly one of the main policies or policies. That's like the the studio operator. Um, One of the main philosophies that I've really taken with me, and that's going to be really the people. And right now, I think it's, it's a pretty 
pretty substantive topic of conversation at the moment when it comes to talent recruitment, talent development, um, and retaining key talent too. And it sounds like this is something that you've really been working on over the course of your entire career, even going back to your sporting days, working on a team, you know, talent acquisition, talent retention. I'm curious to hear what your perspective is on managing and motivating your employees, especially amidst the challenges that are being faced. Yeah, I mean, I think you brought something up that is inevitable during this time period, right? The great resignation. Um, I do not envy anybody who works in recruiting or talent acquisition right now. I know it's crazy. I spend a good amount of time on LinkedIn. I see all of the activity that's happening. So, um, you know, a lot of respect to those folks who are trying to fill all of these positions and it's uh, it's a candidate's market out there for sure right now, um, which to your point makes being a leader and being a manager um, really important during this time frame. And I think like first and foremost, like letting your team know that you are a supporter for them um, and what that looks like, I think, can vary in different situations, um, you know, whether that's when they express that they're unhappy about something, you trying to figure out like, okay, what is a reasonable accommodation for this? Um, or whether it's someone, and you know, unfortunately this has happened where someone has already accepted another job and just being a human about it, right? And saying, hey, man, I'm really bummed about this, but I can recognize that this is the right move for you and I want you to be successful in your career. Um, so I think supporting people looks a bit different. Uh, depending on the situation. But ultimately, a couple of changes that we've made, we've officially gone to the work from home policy um, indefinitely. So there will be no more coming into the office for our folks who work on our headquarters team. Obviously, we run facilities. So there are people inside of the facilities who have to be there to carry out their jobs. But for a headquarters team, you know, we've instilled uh, work from home indefinitely, which is great. We work with a ton of people who enjoy the outdoors. We're headquartered or previously we're headquartered in New York City, which presents a bit of an issue if you like to spend time in the outdoors. Um, so that's been great. A lot of folks have uh, gotten Airbnbs and gone and spent two months, three months in different places and been able to not disrupt their work life by doing that, um, which is cool. We also moved to unlimited vacation time, which I think is kind of the standard now across the board, um, you know, and, and just more flexible hours. So I think the combination of those three things has helped people travel a bit more, um, design their day the way that they want to. And all of this is with an asterisk next to it, that their job is still getting done. Right. Um, but, but we have some really great folks on our team who, I never, I never have to question how much they're working or whether their stuff is going to get done because I always know that it is. And they get to rock climb throughout the day. They get to go for a morning mountain bike ride and other things that unfortunately they wouldn't have been able to do living in New York City. So um, there's been there have been some moves that we've made to try to keep people. Um, but but you know, as I mentioned, we have lost some people throughout it, and I think the biggest thing there is to just be like a kind human as that, as that happens. Nobody enjoys telling their boss that they're leaving a company. It's super awkward. You always get nauseous before you do it. So, you know, the easier you can make that for someone and hopefully come out of it with, you know, a good 
a good resource, a good networking person. Um, I think it's important just to stay like kind and humane during this whole process. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think I I always got taught, you know, we got to meet the members where they are in the fitness world. On the other hand, we need to meet our team where they are. And the reality of it is the working environment has completely, completely shifted. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong too, because you kind of touched on like the asterisk that the work is still getting done. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it safe to assume that because of this flexible solution now that employers are providing employees, you can actually almost see an increase in productivity across the board? Definitely. I think productivity for sure. And just general like enthusiasm to actually be at work. I think people are more excited about it. Um, You know, if you get to design your day the way that you want to, and that includes a mountain bike ride in the morning and going on like an afternoon stroll or something, you're, you're a happier person. You're living your life in a way that you really want to. And that allows you to bring a better person, a better person, a better self to work. So I think, yeah, productivity, but also from a teamwork perspective, like people are just happier, you know? And I think you bring up a good point about the fitness industry. And I think for a long, long, long time, and I've been in it and you've been in it, but like, there's a lot of hours that are put in, like an unproportionate amount of hours that are put in um, relative to your paycheck for the large majority of, of those, you know, entry level years. And it's really, it's a, it's a grueling industry to be in. Um, so if there's a way that we can make that more appealing to people to stay in, um, then we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the company. We owe it to our teams to, to try to provide that for people. Oh yes, absolutely. You know, thinking along those lines, I mean, when you think about it, the, the hours that are being put, it's really ultimately about trying to refine and design this perfect member experience. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just touched on it too. You know, we were trying to meet the members where they are. And if we take a 30,000 foot view about the industry as a whole, because we're really talking a lot about the industry here. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to creating this really memorable experience. And considering the fact that, what is it, like 80% of Americans are not affiliated with a fitness solution. And that's so hard to believe for people that are, are so ingrained into the industry. But the reality of it is there's a lot of opportunity. And in order for us to be able to capture those, those um, new consumers into creating a whole new health and wellness lifestyle for them, it needs to be something that's fun and appealing for them too. So... In your perspective, you know, designing this higher member experience, you know, there's so many different things that has to take place from like onboarding and then personal touches and you got to effectively close a sale and do follow-ups and gather feedback. How do you think about designing this? Yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting. Um, You know, one statistic that you threw out there, 80% of people don't have a fitness solution. That scares me. That scares me for our population as a whole. And going back to the detrimental effects of COVID, it scares me that so many places shut down and there's only, there's that much, many less opportunities for people to get involved. That's pretty scary to me. I think, um, you know, from my standpoint, especially because I, I work in industries that are primarily like lifestyle or community based. Um, so I've worked in the kickboxing industry before I've worked in the CrossFit industry. And currently now I work in the rock climbing industry. Um, and and all of those are really about lifestyle and community. Um, and that provides a certain aspect of stickiness or retention that 
other other sub industries within the larger health and wellness industry don't necessarily have. Um, and the way that I like to think of it is kind of like a triangle. Um, and this is a this is a triangle that at, in my mind I'm picturing like the recycling. Uh, triangle, right, with the arrows that feed into the next, and that's kind of like the life cycle of of our members, of the folks who come to our gyms. That I like to think of. So the the first part of that is what is their first experience like? Um, do they feel comfortable coming into the gym? Do they feel welcomed when they come into the gym? Is it the perfect amount of a balance between? allowing them to know what we offer, but not coming off too pushy, like we're only trying to close the sale, right? And I think that's really important because nobody likes that feeling. Nobody likes feeling forced into making a decision. Um, so do we have that delicate balance there? Um, and, you know, I'll speak for myself. I, as you gave me a very warm introduction to this podcast, I played two sports in college. I was a CrossFit Games athlete. Um, I competed for USA weightlifting for a while. Like I have a pretty robust athletic background. I walk into a gym and if I haven't been there before, I'm a little bit nervous. You know, I um, don't know where the foam rollers are, don't know where the bathroom is, don't know where to put my stuff down. And that's something that I've carried with me from one job to the next to the next is how can we create environments that are more welcoming? And I mean that in, in a multitude of ways, right? From the way that we're, the way that we've laid out the facilities, from the way that we train our staff to make sure that people feel com comfortable coming in to the way that we, um, even our product, whatever our product is, right? And that can vary. Currently right now in rock climbing, we have to make sure that we have roots up on the wall that are accessible for people who maybe this is their first time ever climbing or for folks who are scared of heights. What that looks like in other facilities or, or gyms is, are we allowing there to be room for people who are not experts or who are not, um, who haven't been doing this for the last 10 years, right? Do we, do we allow people to do push-ups on their knees or do we get, get on them and yell at them until they do them on their toes? Like that's not an enjoyable experience if someone's yelling at you. So I think the first step of it is like creating a really welcoming environment. And then that kind of feeds into the, the second portion of it, which is really creating a third space. So what I mean by that is your first place is your home. Your second place is your work. Those two places are where you spend the majority of your time, right? But where do you go outside of that? And is that you meet your friends at a restaurant, you go to happy hour, you are part of a book club? Like, what is that third space that you go to? And ideally, we're creating a welcoming enough environment that we want your third space to be our gyms. And we want you to come in on the days when you don't even want to work out, but you just want to be around like-minded people. We want you in, in our gyms. We want to create areas where you can um, work from home, but be there and working on your computer and see somebody climbing something really cool. Um, and then I think that flows into the third part of it, which would be um, really referrals, right? Are they experiencing this in a way that is encouraging them to say, hey, I want to bring my friend here. Oh, I have a coworker who is interest, slightly interested in working out. I want to bring them to, to our place. Um, so I think that referral process then feeds right into creating a welcoming 
experience for that new person as well. So that's kind of how I think about it. Goodness, there's so much power behind what you just said. And the reality of it is you're just putting the consumer's needs and the customer's needs above everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly powerful because when you're thinking about key acquisition strategies, right? You know, a lot of the times people will ask me like, hey, what's your favorite acquisition strategy? And I go, my favorite acquisition strategy is retention. If I can retain my clients longer, if I can retain my members longer, they'll one, stay, and it doesn't take as, as much uh, take as much to be able to acquire new customers. And secondly, you're right, they're going to prefer their friends and family. Mm-hmm. So along those same lines for member retention strategies, are there any trends, patterns, anything that you have seen or experienced or even done yourself that had made the most impact? Yeah, I want to caveat on that real quick, because you said something that I think is really interesting. But um, you could put so much money behind marketing. And if you're not creating a great experience when the person walks in the door, there is no retention strategy, right? There is no need for a retention strategy, because people will just turn around and walk straight out. So I think it kind of is is everything it's all encompassing right like the marketing has to be there for sure to get people interested but then the the real sell is do people want to spend time in your space um sorry that was a bit you got me excited when you said that so i wanted to touch on that oh i love it that's exactly right um but in terms of retention i agree with you like i think yeah retention is super important but can you can you start that early to the point where maybe there's not even a true retention strategy at all because you're just offering that good of a that good of a product you know and ultimately especially living in in cities right people uh their interests change very quickly they want to try this one week they want to try something else the next week so of course we have people who leave our gyms you know it it isn't the end all be all for everyone um, and I think, you know, pretty, pretty normal retention strategies as far as like drip campaigns and, um, you know, offering like a buy one, get one and bring your friend in and come back and we'll give you half off, you know, all of that, that makes me cringe a bit as I say it, because I really believe that like, if you're, if you're offering a really, really solid prod, um, product, you don't particularly need a, an aggressive retention strategy. Um, Yeah. So that's my thoughts. Obviously, you know, retention is something that as, as fitness people, as folks who work in the industry, we do have to focus on, but you can focus on it a lot less if you put a really phenomenal product and member experience out there. And I, I personally like to focus on that side more so than the retention. Oh, I love that. And you're exactly right. You know, I definitely now want to kind of take a couple steps back to you because like, I feel like you've got so much knowledge and power when it comes to just the health and fitness industry as a whole. And so along the same lines of the member experience too, and you guys just kind of touched on it, the members' needs in the fitness industry is actually constantly changing now. With so many different modalities that are coming aboard, people are wanting to try so many different things. And one topic that's been very interesting and it's emerging very, very quickly is technology. And with the rise of digital technologies, what future do you predict digital has on the health and wellness sector? Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's been uh, enlightening to see 
all of these entrepreneurs who have come out with fantastic digital platforms. And, um, you know, now you can, you can be at your house and not only are there like the standard, like stationary bikes and stuff like that, but there's actually like weightlifting that can occur in your home with a very small machine. It's wild. Um, I think a lot of people got super creative during the time they saw, uh, you know, a market that, that was open and people dove straight into it. Um, and it's really impressive to see what people have, have come out with. I think ultimately um, you use the word hybrid. I think that that's, that's where, that's the direction that the fitness industry is going in. Um, I do, however, for, for the folks who think that it's all going to be digital, I actually disagree with that because I think that the in-person connection is way too valuable. Um, the in-person connection where you make your friends, how you spend your free time, like that doesn't really exist in the digital world of fitness. Um, so I think that that's, that's an important component. But then secondarily, and people aren't talking about this enough within the, the pandemic that's going on right now, but like the mental and emotional health of people is declining <laughs> pretty drastically. And it's, I, I consider myself kind of a loner. I don't need a lot of social interaction to keep myself going. Um, but even someone like me, who requires very little social interaction, I've, I've recognized that I do need some of it, right? I do need to interact with people. I enjoy doing things with people. Um, and that aspect isn't necessarily there. I think, I think some digital platforms have done a great job of creating a digital community, um, which is awesome and, and something that kind of kind of lines up to the, the real in-person community. But I don't think that that can truly get replaced. Um, how good you feel after you've been in a class with one of your friends or it, in our case, in our rock climbing gyms, when you make it to the top of the wall and you come down and like your best friend is there to give you a high five. There's something chemically that happens that that unfortunately digital, uh, you know, the digital landscape of fitness cannot replicate. So I think it'll I think it'll truly be um, a hybrid model. And if and for the folks who are truly digital only, I think the key there is going to be trying to figure out how in that setting, can you create a community? Because that's or, I mean, we're, as human beings, we're like community driven people. We want to be around people. We want to interact with people. We want to feel good with people. Um, so I think it'll be a hybrid. And then for those folks who really are are, are set on only being digital, their key to success is going to be how can you create a community. So much power to that. And I am completely, completely aligned as well. You're exactly right because the emotions that are felt, the energy that is typically inside a room or fitness studio in a gym, that is just something that you cannot create digitally at the moment. So mm -hmm. um, I completely agree with you. Well, future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from yourself? Um, you know, I think that, uh, for the time being, we are going into kind of, a a coasting mode right now. We, we had a lot of growth in a non ideal time to be growing. So, um, you know, I think we, we're going to try to even out a bit, take care of our people, um, and make sure that we, we have the right infrastructure before we see any further growth. Um, and then, you know, personally for me, um, 
um, pushing my own engine. Um, I got asked to write a chapter in a book, which unfortunately I cannot release the title of just yet, but I'm super excited about that. That'll be my first time really authoring anything. Um, so definitely lots of drafts, but I'm excited about that. Oh, that's fantastic. I uh, definitely have to let us know what that's like uh, and want to be able to read it too. So thank you so much. Final question for you. If yep. you could give advice to a young woman that is designed to be a future entrepreneur or executive, what would you share with them? Yeah, I feel like that's such a loaded question. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, from my perspective, the things that have helped me is like one working really hard, being willing to be the hardest working person in the room. Um, two, being a kind person, you know, helping people out when maybe they can't necessarily offer you anything back. I think that speaks volumes to your character. Um, and then three, really networking, meeting people, um, saying yes to a cup of coffee, saying yes to a phone call, um, in both directions, right? Being being a supporter for folks who are younger than you. I work a lot with my college and I go up there and speak to the to the um, graduate classes and I always make myself available for phone calls for them. But then also, you know, accepting invitations to talk to people and just trying to expand your network. And I think with those three things, um, working really hard, being kind and uh, networking, I think I think that is the equation for success. I love it. Well, thank you, Emily, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out the Cliffs Climbing and Fitness, the indoor rock climbing experience with locations currently in the Northeast. Looking to hear more about topping in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.